Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And on today's episode, I wanted to talk about a recent report from the CDC that is highlighting and trying to sound the alarm on drug overdose deaths with evidence of counterfeit pill use. Now, let me just share that drug overdose deaths are at a historical high in the United States with an estimate of more than 105,000 deaths in 2022 alone. That is a significant increase in that type of thing. And when we're talking about overdose, uh, drug overdose deaths, Typically, these are drugs that are being taken in recreational use. They're drugs that have been abused, are being sold on the streets, the black market, and things like that illegally. And these can be your opioids, your benzodiazepines, and things like that. So let's just be very clear. Drug overdose deaths, all-time high. But now what they're even more concerned about, as if that weren't already a problem, is that an increase of those deaths are related to fake prescription pills. Now, uh, when we talk about this, we're not talking about your blood pressure medication. We're not talking about the diabetes medication. We're talking about medications like oxycodone, hydrocodone, Xanax, Adderall. Now, as a healthcare provider, I'm very familiar with those drugs. Um, with the proper diagnosis, I may prescribe those. Again, very strictly and you know diligent about that for certain medical diagnoses after a thorough evaluation and assessment, right? But what's happening here is these are not healthcare providers that are prescribing these and then they're kind of just being sold around. What we're talking about when we say fake prescription pills or counterfeit pills is that we have street pharmacists, drug dealers, people in their makeshift black market labs concocting some type of something and they're creating these pills that look like, guys, they look like... They're down to the shape, the color, the letters and numbers that are on the pill. And they are making pills that look like the medications that we prescribe and they're selling those. And those drugs, those synthetic drugs are what the CDC believes is responsible for the increasing number of deaths, drug overdose deaths. Now that's dangerous. So, you know, like, so what are in these counterfeit pills, right? Well, we don't really know. That's the that's the crazy thing about it. These counterfeit pills are fake medications that have different ingredients than the actual medication. So when we think of oxycodone, like you can go to, you know, uh, a pharmaceutical resource drug library and kind of look to see, oh, what the ingredients are. No, these street uh, pharmacists, these drug dealers, they don't care about that. They're just making something to 
put a product on the street and sell. For them, it's business. It has nothing to do with the benefits of these medications and how they can manage someone's pain and this, this, and that. They're not assessing. They're not diagnosing. They're just making these drugs and they're selling them. So the concern is that we don't know what's in these pills, actually. And so for all we know, there is no active ingredient. Um, it could be the wrong active ingredient, or it could have the right ingredient, but the wrong quantity. But what's even more and more and more concerning is that these counterfeit pills are containing, as some of the uh, research and evidence has shown from them testing these drugs, they're containing lethal amounts, lethal, lethal amounts of fentanyl, methamphetamine, cocaine, and benzodiazepines. Now, that is extremely scary. Now, I, I need to draw this, uh, draw a line in the sand. When we talk, when I talk about prescription medications uh, that are prescribed by a healthcare provider after a proper assessment and interview uh, for the proper diagnosis, for the proper reason. And even when we prescribe these controlled substances, it's usually for a, def a defined amount of time, right? We're not, we're not going to give you oxycodone indefinitely for a headache or something like that. Like, no, that's just not appropriate. So there's, there's more planning to this. So, because uh, we don't necessarily want to keep someone on these type of controlled substances because we know that they can be highly addictive. So that's one thing. But again, now back to these counterfeit drugs. These are being, you know, if someone said like, well, where are they coming from? Well, the DEA said that a vast majority of the counterfeit pills that are being brought to the United States are actually produced in Mexico and made by gangs and drug rings. Um, and in some cases, they're actually even being sold on the internet um, or by unsafe websites who are posing to be online pharmacies. Now, this is scary because this makes drugs a lot more accessible. And like this, it's getting sophisticated. So like, if I could just say, um, funny, not funny, but when we think of drug deals, we're thinking like, oh, the street corner in the dark, in the alley where no one can see you, um, you know, but now these street drugs are getting a lot more sophisticated to mimic and copycat actual prescription medications that are being sold on the internet. Like they're optimizing technology. Um, I'm a little, I'm actually very scared of that because it's like drugs are being sold right under our noses and we wouldn't even know. When we talk about uh, prescription drugs, let me just be also uh, very clear. Oxycodone, potent opioid medication used to relieve severe pain. Hydrocodone, same thing. Another potent opioid medication used to treat uh, and relieve pain. Adderall, this is it's a brand name medication, um, but it's a combination of amphetamine and dextroamphetamine. It's used to treat like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and narcolepsy and things like that. So there's actually a place for it. That's a stimulant, right? Um, and you have Xanax, which is also a brand name medication. Um, and it's part of the benzodiazepine family. And it's um, a central nervous system depressant. And it's usually used to treat anxiety and panic disorders. So we got some very powerful addicting drugs here, guys, that are being cop you know copied to be sold on the black market and i also want to throw this out there um because we have some healthcare providers who are more responsible than others uh and i'm gonna share a personal story so i went and had some dental work done okay and it was very painful and the uh, dentist gave me some pain medication afterwards so and here's the thing he gave me a whole bunch of vicodins he gave me a bottle of 30 vicodins i don't need that and the low dose vicodins by the way i don't need that and I had never really taken the medication. So what I did is I took one um, for my uh, toothache and I took it at night because it was pretty painful. My face was a little swollen. 
So I was like, oh shoot, this really hurts. And I want to be able to sleep through the night. So I took one at nighttime. I went through the whole day with, you know, with Motrin and Tylenol, but I was like, I'm not, I don't want to wake up in my sleep from the pain. So I want to have a peaceful night. I was out like a light. Out like a light. Believe me when I tell you, when I got up the next morning, I was so groggy. Like, I was like, what is this? Like, I don't know what that, is that the euphoric feeling that people want? Because I like it. I didn't like it, not one bit. But what I realized is then like the next time, the next night, uh, it did help with the pain, but I was like, this is too much. So I just took half of one. Very, very important drugs. So if you think of this, we do this in a very controlled way. They're made by pharmaceutical companies. They're you know FDA approved. We know exactly what's in it. And also we know how to reverse some of the effects of these medications. Like if we have our opioids, we know that Narcan is a reversal agent. Um, for your Xanax, um, we know that um, flumazenil is a reversal agent. As a healthcare provider, we, get, we know all these things, right? We, we got it. But when it comes to street drugs, these people don't know. They don't know what they're getting. They think they're buying Adderall. They think they're buying Xanax. They think they're buying uh, hydrocodone or Percocets, but they don't have no idea what they're getting. And it actually can be even more dangerous because, again, it's been said to have other lethal substances in these medications. Things like uh, fentanyl, um, methamphetamines, cocaine. That's, those things are extremely dangerous. And let me just talk about fentanyl. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that's up to 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine. I think we've seen enough on social media where like, usually it's like police officers, they're at a stop, they touch something and they're like, the officer is down um, and it, immediate uh, Narcan or something is needed to help basically bring them back to life because they're on the way out because these are type of drugs that are so powerful, they can suppress your breathing, suppress your heart, basically shut down your body with even the slightest, slightest amount. So this is something that's extremely dangerous. People need to be very on alert for these type of things. Um, and so I actually did an NBC medical segment on this talking about it. And I think people were just so fascinated by this. I don't think people really understand um, when we talk about drugs, I think cocaine, uh, methamphetamines, um, those type of things are really kind of viewed, but we don't really talk about prescription medications. And now while we're talking about fake medications, let me just flip real quick to the prescription medications. When it comes to prescription medications, as point in case with my dentist who gave me 30 pills, I didn't need all of that. So what happens to the leftover medication? So let's say maybe I took like three. First off, I paid, you know, healthcare system is so jacked up, uh, costs are so jacked up, or medication costs a lot. And some people can't even get access to this. So, but anyway, that's a whole nother episode. But I paid for, and my insurance paid for medication that I did not need. Then here I am left with this bottle of medication. Now, what most people do, whether you want to admit it or not, they keep that bottle of Vicodins. And then the next time they're having an ache or a pain or a something else, they just go to that medication. So like, oh my gosh, I got a really bad, really bad migraine. Oh, instead of going to their regular over-the-counter Tylenol or Motrin, or maybe they have a prescription medication for their, their migraines, they're going to take Vicodin. Vicodin's in the house. And here's the thing. So... That's medication abuse, because even if it's my medication, I'm taking it. It was prescribed to me for a particular reason, for a particular occasion. When I use it for something else, I am not following the provider's orders. So I'm abusing the medication. I'm misusing the medication, taking it for a different rationale. 
let's say, because I got prescribed for my dental issue. Now if I'm taking, oh, my knee hurts. Yes, it's for pain, but that Vicodin wasn't prescribed to me for my knee pain. So that's misuse. But here's another thing. Sometimes it'll be the family member like, oh, granddaddy's ankle, he tripped and his ankle swollen and it hurts. Give him one of them Vicodins that you have, Alice, so he can, you know, not be in pain. He don't need to go to the emergency room. It's a little swollen. We're going to raise it up, put some ice in. Just give him a Vicodin. Now I'm giving the whole narcotic to somebody else who is not even prescribed for, right? And so I think that happens a lot. Also, and I hate this one. Although bottles are meant to be childproof, we know that you can crack that bottle open if you really wanted to. You don't need to really fiddle with the top. So you have people in the home, perhaps minors, who could possibly get into that bottle and inadvertently take it and get sick and die. And or you might have someone else in the home who's like, hmm, I bet you I can get a pretty penny for those and then take the leftover grandma's leftover Vicodin and sell it to their classmates, to their friends. to, And so you can see prescription medications, in addition to the individual possibly getting addicted to them and developing a tolerance to them, which is not good. You have all those other things, the misuse and abuse that can happen in the home, which some people just like, oh, they don't think a big thing about it. It's like, oh, you know, ask me, uh, let me. Let me have one of those Vicodins that you had for your your tooth because my ankle's killing me. We think we're doing our friend a favor. We do, but what we're doing is we're contributing to the big opioid problem that we have. Now, I'm talking about oxycodone, hydrocodone, Percocets, and things like that. Now, the other medication that is being, you know, sold out there on the black market, at least counterfeit pills, are the Xanax and the Adderalls. Adderalls uppers, people take them to be more attentive, more alert. That's actually a big problem on college campuses as they're being sold. People get prescriptions for them and then they sell them. Guys, this this is, I mean, and that's that's actually a prescription medication that was probably received from a pharmacy. Now you, now you fold into the mix. You have people who are selling quote unquote Adderall. How do you know what that is? How do you know what that is? And I actually know of some instances of when this has happened. And it really can lead to some other problems because you don't know what you're getting. You really don't. And same with Xanax. Um, And these are medications that can be highly addictive. So maybe someone starts off on a prescription medication and they're asking for it, but their provider's like, you know what? No, we reached our cap here. We need to try alternative things to try to manage your condition because you're developing a tolerance. The long-term use could lead to addiction. And it's probably teeter-tottering on the line of addiction because your medical indication that you're telling me really doesn't warrant this strong of a medication. So when they're denied from their healthcare provider, then they'll go shopping around to different doctors, nurse practitioners, see where they can get it. When all else fails, they can't get it. Then this is where enter the street pharmacist and how they're able to be successful. And that's a really, really dangerous thing. And as healthcare providers... I know not everybody listening is a healthcare provider, but as a healthcare provider, it's very important that we understand this because the best offense is a better, is an even better defense. So even when it comes to prescribing uh, medications to our patients, talking to them about this and making sure that we're prescribing the appropriate medications in appropriate quantity and providing the appropriate surveillance. And we've done the education with our patients to let them know that, hey, this could happen before we even start these medications, okay, and develop some type of contract and with how you're going to manage this and monitor this 
that way, if they keep coming back, coming back, like I need, you know, I need more Percocets. It's like, I gave you 14 day prescription. It's only day 10. Why are you asking me for more already? What's happening? Is your condition getting worse? So as healthcare providers, we have to be very diligent about that. And let's not just, let's be a little more alert. So when we're like, we, I know you give these medications all the time. It's like, oh, patient in room 504 needs a Vicodin. Patient in 501 needs Vicodin. Patient in 507 wants Vicodin. Everybody wants Vicodin. And then like we go into the Pixis machine, we get it and we give the medication. Like, just be mindful that like, what's happening? Like, it's it's not candy, guys. We almost give it away like it's candy. It's not. And so as a healthcare provider, if you are anywhere involved in the prescriptive side of it, the administration side of it, or the delivery of it, be mindful that when people get to the point of when they're buying fake prescription medications, at least they think it's real, but it's really fake, at the end of the road, we're actually part of that stream. We are. We are. Not for every single person, right? But a majority of people who start on these medications get highly addicted to them. They keep given access and they're finally denied. And then they look for alternatives and then they land there. So let's be a little more diligent about how we use these medications when it comes to our patients. Let's look a little to more holistic things, non-medicinal things. Let's look at more therapy and not even just therapy, like physical therapy, occupational therapy, but mental health therapy, counseling, because there is definitely indeed a connection between pain and our mental health, depression and things like that. So I think that's a very underutilized service. And I know people are like, oh my gosh, what are you saying, Alice? That we need a, a, a psych consult for everybody who wants a narcotic? Maybe. Have you done at least the depression screening, anxiety screening? Have we done any of that? Have we explored their mental health first? Have we explored their social history, um, their substance use in the past? I don't know that we do. I don't know we do. And I say that because I found myself in situations where, and I'll say this, someone is in deep pain. They got a broken ankle. I see the fracture. I see the break. Okay, I get it. I'm, I need to give them that. But I think it's very important, the question that doesn't get asked enough. I didn't initially, but now I do. I ask them before I give them a pain medication because it's warranted. I ask them about their social history and any type of substance use beforehand because some people may have had a substance issue and they've broken away from that because I actually had some lady who um, had a history of like almost every type of street drug. She's used it. And then she had a fracture and it was very painful, her swollen, red, all of those type of things. And she was going to need to get an ortho consult. I said, I'd like to uh, manage your pain. Have you ever taken anything like morphine or this and this? She said, and she kind of said morphine. She said, she, she was so out of it because she was in pain. She's like, I don't think so. He said, is it a narcotic? Cause I don't want those. I've recovered. I'm a recovering addict and I don't want to use those type of drugs. There you go. When she said that, I thought to myself, I don't know that I really ask people that. I asked them, have they ever had a medication? But that interaction let me know that that is a question that I probably should be asking. Now, some people are like, oh, I'm a, that's an offensive question. No, it's not. It's not. It's actually doing the patient, uh, doing your due diligence to make sure that you're not reversing something that a patient had to work so hard to get out of. So what she actually, she just actually, uh, I think we gave her, gave her uh, Motrin. She opted for Motrin, which by the way, it's very helpful. It can be very helpful, especially uh, in that situation if inflammation is uh, anywhere involved in it. But we gave her Motrin, ice elevated it um, until she had her ortho consult and then she you know, moved forward. But she also did a lot of deep breathing, meditation and other things, which for her, according to her, was enough. 
Now, I'm not going to say that's going to work for everybody, but what I'm saying is I think we need to exercise other avenues of treatment before we go to any type of prescription medication or drug to manage a treatment. Because not saying that we as healthcare providers are the responsible completely for those things, but we are. Somewhere along the line, we need to take some type of accountability for it because most people wouldn't even have exposure to any of these medications. Drug abusers wouldn't even know that these medications are popular or people want them if people had never taken them and you know felt what they felt, that euphoric feeling. So not saying we take on all the burden of responsibility, but we do have some responsibility for public safety, educating and being diligent about the use of opioids and controlled substances with our patients. Because it had to start somewhere. It did. And now here we are with a rapid high, higher than ever drug overdose death rate for people who are trying to now buy knockoff prescription medications. Um, I think that's an interesting spin on it. Because when we see these titles that say, you know, CDC reports this and counterfeit pills. And I think immediately healthcare providers kind of look at it like, oh, my gosh, like there's a problem. Not understanding that we kind of, what do you call those Venn diagrams where you have one circle and the other circle overlaps? We're part of it. We're part of it. Not saying that we are the problem, but we have contributed to that. We've fanned the flames with the medications, especially very willy-nilly if we prescribe them. Now, I have uh, my, I can prescribe these type of medications. I don't want to. I'll say, well, let me take that back. Because you'll be like, ooh, nurse house, you don't treat your patients, right, when they have pain. I do. I do. But I'm definitely now a provider that whenever a controlled substance is needed, I'm having a very personal conversation with the patient about the potential addiction that comes with these drugs, other alternatives for pain management, and then also some non-medicinal interventions as well. Um, because that's also very important. I think this generation of people, you got people who, who legit just want their drugs, but then you have some like, I want to do it natural. I want to be, you know, I don't want to put these chemicals in my body. And like, so I'm going to push more for that. I'm going to push more for that. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If somebody's bone is sticking out their leg, I'm like, you probably going to need some morphine or some Dilaudid, probably. But we can agree to do low dose amounts for a short period of time and really set the patient up for success so they're not set up to become addicted on these medications. Because once I go home with that prescription, as the healthcare provider, have I prescribed it, they're going. As the nurse, you may be someone who's administering it, but they're calling you. You have to sign it out out of the PICSIS or whatever, and then you have to administer it. You're there to observe it, and you know that it was taken in for the reason and this and that. When they go home, who's to say that they're going to take one Vicodin every six to eight hours? They may pop four at one time. Or they may not take it for that knee surgery. Now, they're, they're taking it four months later because they got a headache. Like So there's just so much variables that happen. And I'm not saying that patients aren't intelligent um, and that they don't know how to manage themselves at home. They do with the proper education, surveillance, and support team system. But after we send someone home with narcotics, where is the support? Where's the follow-up? Because some hospitals might do a two, three day discharge follow up. Like, how's it going? Is your prescription? This, this, that. Okay, I get it. But who's following up with the patient one month out? How's your pain doing? What things have you tried? Are you trying stretching? Are you trying meditation? Um, how's your diet, exercise? What else are we doing to help manage this pain before you take your Vicodin? Like that, I wish that type of service existed. 
I really do. And you know, there actually might be, listen, entrepreneurs, I'm just saying there might be a, a room, a space for that type of service. Listen, wherever there are people, there are problems, wherever there are problems, we can, as long as you have a solution, you can create a business. Um, but I think that's actually the missing piece of it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a home health nurse that comes into the home to visualize it. But I think even phone calls can be very helpful. Even with telehealth, a telehealth visit can be very helpful. But who's doing that? And then people are going to say, well, how is that visit compensated? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I know it's needed. I know if we have 105,000 people dying from overdose deaths, although, you know, those may be from people who are buying it on the streets for people before they get to that point. What services and systems and processes have we put in place to prevent them from getting there? So anyways, there's that. I think that's very helpful. But now let me swing it back to the people who are buying these counterfeit pills uh, on the street. And as healthcare providers, and even if you're not a healthcare provider, you listen to this, everybody needs to know this. And also, let me also say that just because I am a healthcare provider, I'm also a patient. I'm also a consumer. So just as much as I'm educating other people on this, this is stuff that I am taking in for myself, that I am applying to myself, my family, my friends, and my circle of people. Very, very important question. So we can prevent the overdose deaths or people wanting to buy these drugs on, on the streets. How can we protect people from the dangers of counterfeit pills? Well, one, only use pharmaceutical pills that are prescribed to you and received directly from a licensed pharmacy or healthcare provider. I'm gonna add to that. Take the medication for what it's intended to and also don't share those pills. So only use medications that are prescribed to you and that are given to a licensed pharmacy and healthcare provider. That way you know the, the place in which it's coming from is legitimate. It's coming from a licensed healthcare provider, a licensed pharmacy, so you know exactly that you're getting the right medication for the right reason and from the right place, okay? Two, do not take any unlabeled pills because you can't rely on the appearance of the pill anymore. Because again, these street pharmacists are copycatting medications to look like the real thing, everything from the same right shape, color, number, and letter. Do you know how many, and I've seen this a lot, a lot of seniors will come in or it, they don't even have to be seniors. They're like, I got this pill. I think this is, or they'll have a, a group of pills and they'll look at them like, oh, well, that's my blood pressure pill. And that's my diabetes pill. And this is this because they remember the shape and color and the numbers on them. Can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. And I'll say this, as a nurse who is actually delivering the medication to someone, you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to come in with just the pill cup. You should actually have the packaging for the medications. Because really, if you did it the real way, you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to come to the patient's bedside, scan or verify their identity, right? And then also scan the medication, do your five rights at the bedside with the patient, and then open it. That's what you're supposed to do. So when some people come in with a, pill, a cup of pills, I'm like, what is that? I'm not taking that shit. I don't know what it is. I would never take it. So if you're ever going to be my nurse, don't ever think you're going to come in with a cup of pills and just give it to me. I want to see the package. I don't care if you got to waste it, go get some more. I want to see the package. And you should. You want to make sure that you're seeing a label package so you know exactly what it is, that it's the right drug, the right strength, and all of that stuff. Um, and not that, I would hope not, that in a, a hospital or healthcare setting that a nurse would do a switcheroo with a fake pill. I would hope not. But still, applies to hospital, applies to outside of hospital. It could be like one of your friends is like, oh, here, I have a, a Vicodin that you could take for such and such for your headache. First off, you are not my friend trying to push a drug on me that you know that I'm not supposed to be taking. You know, 
Do you know who I am? I'm Nurse Alice. Why would you even do that to me? But yes. <laughs> so I say, don't take any uh, unlabeled pills. Three, for those who still going to do it, even though as a healthcare provider, I've advised you not to do it because it's not safe. Because there will be some people who are still say, you know what? I can't get a prescription for it. I'm still going to do it. There are people who are still going to go against the grain and against your medical advice. Those are the AMA people. For those who are still going to try to buy their drugs on the street, I first advise you not to do it. But if you're going to do it, there are, you can buy uh, fentanyl test strips and other drug checking products. And, and there's some services that can help you identify the content of the pills. Just like when a patient comes in with their medications and they're supposed to take their home medication because we don't have it on formulary hospital. The medication is supposed to go to the pharmacy and they verify it and this is that, and then they send it back to you for the patient to use. Same thing. There are ways to verify that this is indeed the medication it says to, to do. Some people would say like, well, why would we even do that? We don't want them to take, we don't want them to use these type of medications. Well, similar to IV drug use, we don't want people to do it, but there are safe needle programs. So if you are going to do it, at least try to be as safe as possible because we understand that not everybody is just going to do the right thing, unfortunately. And then also anyone who uses medications, whether prescribed or not prescribed, please, please make sure that you have a reversal agent available to you. So here's the thing. When we talk about uh, reversal agents, we know like for your hydrocodone, Percocet, um, oxycodone, those type of things, there's a reversal agent, even with morphine and Dilaudid. Reversal agent is Narcan. Narcan can be given IV, can be given um, IM, it can be given sub-Q, it can be given intranasally. It's an opioid antagonist. And it only works on overdoses by opioids. What are some other drugs? Oxycontin, fentanyl, methadone, Vicodin, and even street drugs like heroin. Narcan can reverse those type of things, reverse those drugs. But what it will not do is will will not reverse overdose effects from non-opioid drugs like cocaine and benzodiazepines. So when we talk about benzodiazepines like Ativan, Xanax, Valium, that's Flumazenil. Flumazenil is a reversal agent. We don't talk about that one as much. We should talk about that more. But it's usually, Flumazenil is given IV. I don't know that there's any type of over-the-counter or an intranasal Flumazenil. I hope there is soon, if there isn't already. I, I'm not familiar with it. I've not seen it. I wish there was because those are medications that should accompany prescriptions. And I'll say this, the last time I had um, some dental work done, I had to tell my dentist, don't be giving, don't be prescribing me all that stuff. I don't even want to end the system that you that I was even prescribed this. I'm like, what? Nurse Alice, what you doing with all this Vicodin? I don't need all that. Just give me three. Give me three Vicodins. And anyways, I'm going to split them in half. But anyways, last time I got a prescription, it came with a intranasal Narcan. I don't know how many providers are doing that, but that is definitely what I do now. When I prescribe any type of opioid, I'm also prescribing an intranasal Narcan. I am. There's nothing wrong with that. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Because although mom might get her prescription medication, use them responsibly, if her son gets into her drugs thinking it's candy and takes them and he's down, mom has the Narcan to use. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's a, a safety net that we need to make sure that happens. So if you're listening to your healthcare provider or you're, uh, whether you're a prescriber or whether you're the nurse who's going to administer the medication or discharge a patient, please, please, please. Changes in your practice. If someone's going to get a prescription for some type of opioid, make sure that they also get a prescription for Narcan. That's going to be extremely helpful. 
People can also buy this over the counter, but I think people are feel like they're going to be judged when they buy this and they shouldn't. But then also I want to say that there are federal programs that have given um, monies to emergency rooms in many places, not all, unfortunately, in many places where you can actually go to an emergency room and say, hey, I'm here to pick up some Narcan. No questions asked. No, uh, don't, don't even need your name. This is, I think you have to sign. You know what? Maybe they do need your name. Uh, do they? Do they not? I don't. I can't recall. But my point is, you will get Narcan. They will give you an intranasal Narcan without asking you why you need it. They won't. If you have to come back every day because you know someone who's using it every day, that's fine. It's meant to save lives. We're not there to judge you. We are there to help you provide you the tools to save someone's life because we know, unfortunately, against advice, people are still going to do these things and we don't want that to happen. So that is another way to make sure that you have a reversal agent available to you. So those are some things that I want to talk about. I thought this was a really interesting topic. And even as a healthcare provider, and I'll say this, I think people assume that we as healthcare providers know everything. We don't necessarily know everything, which is why I took the time to talk about this topic uh, for this episode, because I'm hopeful that something that I've shared here has resonated with you. If you are a healthcare provider to realize that, you know what, although you may not be the person who is selling the fake prescription medications, somewhere along the line with the work that you do, although well-intended, could inadvertently cause some people to develop an addiction, develop a problem, and they need help. And the best way that you as a provider can help them is to help them upstream, help them to, with the education, the resources, alternative ways in which to manage their pain, help them with support systems. If they find themselves in a situation, where can they go? We need to develop a system in which we can check on people to make sure that they're using these medications properly without being judgmental. And then also, if we find people who are still going to do this, provide them with the information which they can do so safely so that no one is dying from these uh, fake prescription pills. So thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. I hope this was helpful, whether you're a health professional or not. I thought this was some great information. I know that I found it very valuable and that I'm going to take this and hopefully share it with tons of other people, which, by the way, you can share as well. Make sure to share this with your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, um, anyone you think would benefit from this information. And getting the word out really helps me um, get the podcast out there and grow the listenership. And by the way, you know what else helps is if you can leave a rating or a review on your favorite podcast uh, streaming platform, wherever you're listening to this, let me know. what do you think? Give me five stars. I'd love it. Um, and you know, this is five star material anyway. So I would appreciate that. I don't ask for much, but I would ask for, I do appreciate your support. Shout out to nurse.org. Thank you so much for helping to host the podcast. Appreciate them. Make sure to check out nurse.org. And guys, I'm Alice. Love chatting with y'all. You can follow me on social media at Ask Nurse Alice. And hey, until next time, please make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.